This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Once again, a good Monday morning. Happy being alive day to you and yours. Andrew Bogish in for DA all week. Boils to my left, Ryan Botcher, Kevin Wall through the glass, halfway through this Monday edition of the DA here on CBS Sports Radio. All our great affiliates, the free Odyssey app, the CBS Sports app, Sirius XM, Channel 158. And again, that's it. This might be the most significant news of your week, but Andrew Kaplan is deservedly off for these five days. So there is no stream. There is no way to look at us, to watch us do this radio show. It's just our voices and your imagination. For those of you who are hoping for this, Boyle has taken his shirt off here for hour number three. Wall does not look like his normal uncooked chicken. I'm loving it. So he's enjoying it. I can't speak for me or for Botcher, whether we're enjoying that, but Wall does look fabulous on this Monday morning. He is stream ready, and there is no stream for him this entire week, not just today, but this entire week. As usual, a busy two hours left here on this Monday morning. Still haven't gotten us done to a news. Still have not gotten to Spain winning the Women's World Cup. Jared Dubin of CBSSports.com will talk football with us later this hour. We'll begin our final hour with Sounds of Saturday. Bob Kessling, the longtime voice of the Tennessee Volunteers, will join us. The Vols were as fun as anybody in America a year ago. Hendon Hooker throwing... To Jalen Hyatt, to Cedric Tillman, to Brew McCoy. Nobody played offense like the Vols for 10, 11, 12 games last year. Then Hooker hurt his knee. Joe Milton finished the year. They won their bowl game. Milton's the guy this year. He has already been called the best quarterback in America by at least one analyst. I don't know if that he's that, but he's... The theory of Joe Milton remains damn good. The reality of Joe Milton has been, eh, at Michigan, and then, eh, with the Vols in 2021, I forgot that until prepping over the weekend to talk to Bob and that two years ago, it was Joe Milton's job. And then it became Hendon Hooker's job because Milton wasn't up for the task. But this is his last chance. This is year six in college football for him. Second school, talent left, but talent's still there. Josh Heupel is still there. And the Vols check in, you know, somewhere between 10 and 13 in preseason polls as they get set for another SEC gauntlet. And it's a busy week, by the way, because it has to be sounds a Saturday. There are actually games this weekend. I think they're all FCS games, but there are real games that count on Saturday. There's a lot more than FCS games. Me and DA went through this on Thursday together. Okay. You got Notre Dame versus Navy. Oh, that's in Ireland. In Dublin. Right. And the only other ranked is USC's playing San Jose State, which that'll probably be a blowout. Right. Forgive Those... me for being focused on Fordham-Albany <laughs> Saturday night. Uh, yeah, the other games are terrible. But 
You do have a, a Hawaii Vanderbilt. That should pique most okay. of the people's interests. Uh, whoever's not watching USC San Jose State, because I think that's a 7 o'clock, if I'm not mistaken. And we were going through, did you see the pictures of Vanderbilt Stadium? Yes. What a bleep show. And there was a show, I don't know, again, in this crazy August run, where I was prepared to do a segment on a story that I saw that they had to play their games at a high school stadium because they were so far behind at Vandy with this renovation. Thankfully, I read a second story, and that was a hoax. Yep. And I didn't go to air with it. Good thing you sat that one out. But for about 90 minutes, I thought Vandy was going to play games at a high school stadium because there's, there's their current stadium, huge renovation, and they're super behind on it. But yeah, they're, they're going to play into an open end, basically, with tractors and backhoes and yes. piles of dirt outside of one end yes. zone. Yeah, we detailed it uh, the, uh, last week. Literally, you have the end zone, and then... 20 yards after the end zone, it is just open construction area, yeah. tractors, cranes, everything. <laughs> now, it's going to look gorgeous when they're done because they're putting like a, a right. hotel in the stadium, five-star restaurants, everything. But for now, yeah, you're buying on renovation. They're going to play most of this season with literally open end zone, open construction areas in the SEC. And on top of that, a little bit more juice for that game. You got an SEC team playing in Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, quote-unquote SEC team. Let's see if they Clark Leo wins four games this year. Uh, but you also got the all the the news of the Hawaii stuff, the wildfires. Right. So now you got the Rainbow Warriors coming across the country to play Vandy. And let's see. Let's see if you get a little little tribute to them before the game, maybe a, a flyover. See if Hawaii gives them a game. They got a lot of motivation to play for. Yeah, we. I should have said this already this morning uh, and – when I was here the last time, but um, we we do have listeners in Hawaii, and we certainly have with listeners in Arizona and California and Nevada. So between wildfires and storms and other natural disasters, um, a lot of you maybe are not even listening right now and have far more important things going on. But as always, we are thinking about you, and we're hoping that, especially in Hawaii, that you can regain some semblance of regular life as soon as possible. But those pictures and the the death count that continues to go up, it's just mind-numbing how bad things are. And I can't, in one fell swoop, losing everything. Now that I'm 43 and have all these memories and things in my head, I, I, I can't imagine just everything being gone. So just know that we're thinking of you, praying for you, even though, Boyle said there is no God last hour. There's somebody that's hearing something that hopefully um, can help a situation sooner rather than later. Um, as far as basketball goes, and back to sports, we need one of those Pete awkward transition sound effects here. There's, there's James Harden, and there's the Sixers. And I know this was certainly on the show at the end of last week because James Harden stood up in China and called Daryl Morey a liar. So if I'm going over some things that uh, Caserta and friends did on Friday or DA did on Thursday after I criticized DA for going over things that we had gone over when he comes back from break, I think there's some new things here on the Sixers front. But long story short, James Harden hates Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey may not like James Harden or may not like the current Sixers roster which is where I want to end up on this story. But as James Harden calls Daryl Morey a liar and 
says he would never play for a team that employs Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey is not trading James Harden. And the NBA is looking into those comments, the liar part of it, because they need to find out exactly what James Harden is talking about. Now, could he be talking about this kind of rumored, speculated, sneaky, under-the-table deal the Sixers had with him, which the NBA has already looked into once and deemed there was nothing to punish anybody for. But the story is that James Harden's previous current contract is the way it is because the Sixers had promised him, you do this now, leave some money on the table. You can opt that after one year, which would have been this offseason, and we'll give you a big, fat, long-term deal as, as the thank you for leaving some money for us now, a year ago, to sign some extra free agents, fill out the roster. Then we get to this offseason, and they go, uh, yeah, so about that long-term deal, maybe that's not happening. So Harden opts into year two and goes, okay, now you got to trade me. Now he's calling them a liar. If that kind of sneaky handshake deal existed, that's illegal on like three different NBA fronts. So the league needs to know that. They also need to know if his comments of, I will never play for Daryl Morey, if that's him hinting at a holdout not showing up, which also would be a problem as per league rules. But if Harden is just apparently, and this is his story, I guess, if he's just calling Daryl Morey a liar about the trade talks being dead and that Harden's got to show up for training camp, that's actually not a violation. That's the only kind of safe story, and that apparently is Harden's story. But it certainly feels like the liar part is more about the shady, possibly illegal, under-the-table deal that they had a year ago that the Sixers then did not make good on here this year. I don't know what the NBA is going to find. This may be a situation where the NBA doesn't want to find anything, so it's not going to look all that hard. And while it would not matter at all, I do think the Sixers should do something that looks like punishment because you can't have an employee calling his boss, which is the dynamic between Harden and the GM, you can't have an employee calling the boss a liar. You just can't. And a fine, whatever, is not necessarily, it's not going to matter. And I don't think it'll make Harden any angrier than he is. But to show some sign of, like, order and rules and professionalism, whatever you're allowed to dock him in a fine for this, for conduct detrimental, I just throw it out there to make it look like we're a well-run organization. But the problem is they're not. And the problem is Joel Embiid's about to be 30. And historically speaking, that becomes, that's kind of the turning point for big men. Usually after 30, those guys decline. They don't age well. So you're running out of time of Joel Embiid being Joel Embiid. And if you're not going to trade James Harden and force him to show up and have this staring contest, and we all know what James is capable of doing when he's unhappy, that's going to change their entire season. It's going to affect their season. You cannot trust James Harden to be a good player, be a good teammate, if he's pissed at manager because he doesn't want to be there. I mean, we all mostly agree that the dude got fat on purpose in Houston because he didn't want to be with the Rockets, where Daryl Morey was. We also know that Daryl Morey hung on to Ben Simmons' approval point forever and ever and ever and let that hang over the organization. So you can't assume that he's going to give in here 
and trade Harden to where he wants to go just to get him off the table. So here's Philly once again, post another playoff disappointment, post changing coaches, lining up, setting up to compromise another season and waste another year of Joel Embiid being in the MVP conversation. And then you go a few steps farther than that, and there's growing speculation. It's not, not the majority thought just yet, but it's out there that Daryl Morey wants all of this to be blown up. That he's okay and maybe is hoping for Embiid, who the whispers are out there too, that he's getting fed up and he's going to ask soon to get away from all of this. Change of scenery, somewhere new. It's done here. It's not going to work. Get me out of here. And there are some who are now thinking that this is what Daryl Morey wants, that he wants to be able to trade both of them and start from scratch. Because reportedly, when he was talking to the Clippers about a Harden trade, because that's where Harden wants to go, he was more concerned with what the Clippers could give him first-round pick-wise down the road as opposed to current players who could come in like Trey Mann and help replace Harden immediately and play shotgun with Maxi and with Embiid and keep them in the top of the East. That, again, thinking more long-term, thinking more draft capital, has some people thinking that Daryl Morey wants to blow the whole thing up and start from scratch. And Harden is kind of the, you know, the match to the whole situation that he stays unhappy, they make him come in, he pouts and moans and stomps his feet, Embiid goes all right, this sucks, I'm old, you guys are all terrible, we've done nothing so far here, go somewhere else, and then Maury can trade both of them and start completely over for Nick Nurse, which, you know, there's some logic in there because they're not going to win with James Harden. I mean, this, he's just not a winning player. So I, I want him out. I'd want him out of there. But then when you get him out of there and you don't bring anybody back of significance, now you've got a pissed off Embiid and... Again, he's 29. They've had year after year after year of disappointments while they finally had to get rid of Doc Rivers. There is logic in the idea that this setup is just not going to work. And why not move on from it sooner rather than later? We don't know exactly if that's what Daryl Morey is angling towards. But the more and more he lines up to have this staring contest with Harden, almost assuredly affecting negatively this season makes more sense that he's hoping for everybody asking out so everyone goes and they begin basically at block number one. I'll take an early break here because we want to come back and eventually get to Jared Dubin on time around 840 Eastern and have a full 10-minute conversation with him NFL-wise to close out the hour. So we'll take a timeout here when we come back. 20, I don't know, five hours ago, Spain won the Women's World Cup. By itself, a remarkable story. But that's only half the story around this team. And one of the bigger dynamics in sports, the questions that we've wondered about, and I don't know if we'll ever have an answer, it's just how significant coaching actually is to on-field success. It was a multi-layered, historic, controversial, confusing win by Spain down under yesterday. That's next on the DA Show on CBS Sports Radio. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. 
It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Bueno and I will stop our off-air conversations and resume our on-air conversation on this Monday morning here on the DA Show. Bogish Boyle, Ryan Botcher, the Wheel of Steel, Kevin Wall producing today and through this entire week. No DA no cap at all this week. Bilotti, because he's Bilotti, of course, returns on Friday. He was off last Friday, and now he comes back this Friday. For a guy with days to burn, he has this weird habit of not lining things up correctly. Like, why is he coming in Friday? This Friday. Just take one more day, dude. No, Literally no one's counting. Got to get those schedules out for October. Oh, you know what? That reminds me. I did not respond to his email while I was away about days I can't work I don't in October I, I through either. Thanksgiving. I didn't either. They asked for it on Friday. Usually I'll get a text. I'll probably get a text at 11 a.m. today from either Pete or our other boss, David Marinick, saying, need your availabilities. Yeah. Now, it makes a little more sense with you guys on the part-time roster. Like They, need, they do need to know where you guys are. I'm here Monday through Friday. And... If they need me another day, they ask. If I need a day off, it's fine. Like, I don't think Pete needs my... And plus, we've all run into this. You'll give it to him now. Fast forward four weeks, no one knows anything. <laughs> so he collects all this That's info. And then, I don't know, throws in the garbage, at, lines a litter box somewhere. I don't understand what happens. No, nah, they usually will turn around the schedule for the month, two months in advance, shortly after that. So they ask for it by Friday. Usually by Thursday, Friday of this week, they'll have four weeks in advance turned around. Uh, if you say so. I was hoping that we'd find out who gets the DA producer job before I had to turn in these availabilities. Oh. That is not the case. So I will have to, regardless of what happens, I got to send in those availabilities. That's true. They're going to send out schedules into October in the next like five or six days, and we don't expect a hire done by then. And if it's any one of you guys in-house, that's going to change all of those schedules. Yeah. You could hold off and just send out the schedule after that person's picked, but not people out. I don't know if that would do well for my candidacy when they say, hey, Pat, needs your schedule availability for the next month. And I say, you know what? I'm good, actually. I'm going to wait to find out if you guys are going to give me the job or not. <laughs> It'd be a bold play. That would be bold. It wouldn't be smart. I do, uh, I do take some solace every time the schedules come out. The one good thing about them is that 
again, they work six, eight weeks in advance because Pete's insane. I assume that means I'll have a job for the next two months when it comes out and there's not any kind of changes or they're working that far in advance because there have been times here where we were nervous that you showed up on a Monday and the doors would be closed or like a calendar year ended and they'd be like, yeah, there's no more network. So every time we like cross boundaries, like, okay, good. We're safe for another this. We're safe for another that. (laughs) I like it. So yesterday, little about this time, Spain celebrating the World Cup win, the Women's World Cup down under. It was a great final with England. one nothing. Spain won. England was trying to rally late, and Spain wouldn't let them, and they win. It's their first Women's World Cup. I think that that makes five different nations have won this event. There have not been a lot of them, sadly. I think only nine or ten. So it's the U.S., Germany, Japan, Norway, and France, I believe. And how about this for domination? France currently, at all at the same time, owns the World Cup, the under-20 World Cup, and the under-17 Women's World Cup. I think those are all three World Cup versions for the women's game, and they simultaneously won them all, hold them all. And I believe at least one of the players who won yesterday was on all three of those teams, that she was young enough to be on the U-17 team and is still young for U-20 and the senior national team. Spain might be the new soccer-dominant nation in the women's game. And they won yesterday despite a lot of crap to deal with that goes back months, if not more than a year. It felt like there was more than usual. I could be wrong, but this tournament was overrun with drama from head coaches and federations. Uh, The Jamaican team needed to raise money to get to Australia for the World Cup because their federation wouldn't pay them. Other teams didn't have their head coach or was going to lose their head coach. There's a lot of off-field drama. But Spain had the lead. If you don't know the story, it's pretty bonkers. At one point, 15 players sent the same email individually to the Spanish Federation outlining all of the problems they had with the current coaching staff. And Jorge Vilda is the current head coach. The allegations included like unprofessional behavior by the organization where they... and. Uh, sadly, it fits with all of the usual problems that women, the female athletes have to deal with, that they just don't get the same high-end four-star treatment that the men's teams do, regardless of success, that they took too many buses and they took long bus rides instead of planes, that there were curfews, overbearing behavior. They were doing bag checks on these women. Apparently, their hotel rooms had to be left open so they could so people could they could see what they were doing and the defense was this is how this is how it's going to be this is how you'll be professional this is just about soccer nothing else matters you'll trust me in the end this is going to work but these 15 women eventually were so fed up by all of this that they sent a letter and they said we don't want to be considered for the world cup an event that comes once every 4 years that maybe only in one cycle are you actually under consideration to make the World Cup. It had to be your goal from the second you love soccer. And they were so fed up with the situation that they said, unless things change, don't consider me. And they were 
very good players, and most a handful of them, maybe half of them, played for this same coach on the club level in, in Spain. The club did nothing about it. The federation said, he's our guy. Basically deal with it. There were some concessions, and some of the players said, okay, fine, we're going to come back. But eventually, only three of those 15 players were actually picked for this team. So Spain won the World Cup without three or four of their best players because those women stuck to their principles and said, listen, that guy sucks. The whole thing sucks. We don't want to be part of this. Imagine having, I, I couldn't do that. I don't think I could to, to, to give up maybe my lone chance to represent my country in the pinnacle of my sport to, be, to have the principles and the strength to go, I'd rather not achieve my dream than play for this crappy, terrible leadership. So fast forward, throughout this tournament, this head coach, Jorge Vilde, is getting booed by the fans. He was booed during pregame intros yesterday. He was booed during the match when he was shown on the screen. He was booed when he got his medal. He basically, him and his staff, celebrated without the players. Some of the players after the match turned their jerseys around so their name and number was on their chest and the Spanish you know, um, crest was on their back. I assume that was another way to say this is about me, not about them. I could be wrong on that. But there was clearly a divide during the celebration and in their conversation with the press afterwards where they just did not want to discuss what they had just done. You throw on top of that, on the stage, as the women are coming, the players are coming up on the stage to get a medal and then go meet as a group for the trophy presentation, the guy who is the president of the Spanish Soccer Federation, and let me make sure I have his name correctly because I want to say it correctly because he deserves to be fired, Luis Rubiales, he grabs one of Spain's best players, Jenny Hermoso, and kisses her on the mouth. They hug, he like shakes her, and then he pulls her back in and kisses her on the mouth. And at first glance, I was I, I, uh, probably wrong of me. When it the first when the video first circulated, I thought for a second maybe he just got carried away here. In a moment, excitement, everyone celebrating, hugging, whatever, maybe a sliver of patience. But then you find more videos that the players were taking afterwards, and he's on camera saying that he wants to marry that player in Ibiza soon. And she's on camera going, did you see what happened? I didn't know what to do. I did not like it. So there is no defense now. There's no accident. There's no nothing. That guy's in charge of the Spanish Football Federation, and he basically sexually harassed a player on the on the, the biggest stage the sport has. And this is the guy who's been defending the head coach who's allegedly a tyrant and who said yesterday that he's staying the head coach. And, of course, their story is the success in the World Cup validates him as a head coach and the tactics that they used and that the players now are clearly wrong for being opposed to them because this clearly was the way to do it because here they are, ha-ha, they own all three versions of the Women's World Cup the U-17, the U-20, and the women, and the senior team. And it, it made me think about, first of all, that's just wrong. 
the, them winning yesterday does not validate the over-the-top tactics of the organization or the crappy tactics of the Federation for not traveling these women correctly, not, not having the correct accommodations. They didn't get into host cities fast enough, they said, to really acclimate to the situation, to prep for games. They won in spite of all of that. They did not win because of that. Make no mistake. What they accomplished yesterday and this entire event in Spain is actually better than we think, and they played beautifully. And they have some of the best players in the world on that roster. Based on the talent of the players, it's no fluke that they won. We should be even more impressed that they won without their best players, one of whom was coming off an ACL injury, so she was just not a full strength. But counting the three or four or five high-end players who would not play for this coach and for the national team. And with all of the nonsense that the Federation and the coach put them through, and they still won, makes the feat even that much more amazing. But it made me think about, just from a coaching standpoint, the right way to do things and exactly how much impact a coach has. Now, I know for me personally, I prefer a guy like Mike Tomlin, who is a player's coach. He's going to yell when he needs to. He's going to be tough when he needs to. But Mike Tomlin, Pete Carroll, guys like that, that's the way I would do it if I was a coach. It's the way I'd want it to be done if I was a player. There's no arguing with Tom Landry and Vince Lombardi and that kind of success. But those guys being, like, you know, those, those Cowboy players will tell you that they never knew until they were done playing what Landry was like, how much, whether he liked them or not, that that doesn't jive with me. But it clearly leads to success in that way. But this is a question that I don't think there's necessarily an answer to. As long as you're doing things the right way, the legal way, the fair way, being a hard ass, being a player's coach, either version has had success. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the players and their ability to just go out there and be themselves and perform. And that's what the Spanish women's team did, despite numerous unnecessary obstacles. And to win that World Cup yesterday, super, super impressive. Uh, Jared Dubin, CBS Sports NFL writer, will join us in a second. But first things first, here's headlines. Here's Boyle again. Okay, really quickly, NFL news to start. Let's look ahead real quick to tonight's preseason week two capper, the unbeatable preseason Baltimore Ravens versus the Commanders. Again, Baltimore has won 24 straight preseason games. Producer for the week, Kevin Wall, telling us before they are one-and-a-half-point favorites for tonight. So do with that as you wish. Uh, For Washington, a first look in 2023 at the future, uh, hopefully the future for Commanders fans. Fifth-round draft pick from last year, Sam Howell, named the starting quarterback for the team this season over the weekend. And head coach Ron Rivera said Howell is going to play tonight. Here is Howell from over the weekend. He always believed it could be him. Uh, Last night, we mentioned Saints beat the Chargers 22-17. Easton Stick impressed with his legs with two tutties. Not so much with his arm, throwing two picks. Jameis Winston looked good in the first half that he played. Derek Carr did not play. No word yet on if he will play In their preseason finale, we know Aaron Rodgers will. He'll make his unofficial Jets debut later this week on Saturday when they play the Giants. Mentioned it last hour, just quickly again, Patriots cornerback Isaiah Bolden is out of the hospital already after a scary hit on Saturday night in Green Bay that saw him immobilized and stretchered off the field. The remaining 10 and a half minutes of the Pats and Packers preseason game was postponed. 
Basketball, one final tune-up for the USA ahead of the FIBA World Cup in the Philippines. It was a good one. Team USA trailed Germany by 16 points before mounting a fast and furious comeback led by Timberwolves star Anthony Edwards and all of his new $260 million that he signed in that contract last month. He finished with 34 points. USA beat Germany 99-91. So they finished exhibition play a perfect 5-0, but we'll see how they hold up against some of the best teams in the world. Germany expected to be one of them. Pretty uh, nice little team. Anybody guess who the main stars are that play in the NBA at least? Dennis Schroeder. There you go. Um, you got a pair of brothers. Bro- oh, wait, I should know this. Michigan. Right, the Wagners. Yep, Franz and Mo. And is Daniel Tice on that yes, team too? Yes, he is. Okay. That's a good one. And the other one, I don't know if he made the official team. I would assume he would. He's in the NBA. Maxi Kleba. Okay. So not, not bad. But uh, no Giannis for Greece, which which is in their group. So that's a big help for Team USA. Yes. Uh, finally, golf BMW Championship yesterday. Victor Hovland carding a record final round to propel himself past Scotty Scheffler and Matt Fitzpatrick to win at Olympia Fields in Illinois. A course record 61 on the final round. He was birdieing everything. Hovland will be playing in the Ryder Cup for Europe with Captain Rory McIlroy in the fall. Somebody who might not be playing as Brooks Kepka? He got pushed out of the top six automatic qualifiers for American golfers by Xander Shoffley over the weekend. Kepka obviously plays on the Live Tour, so now he needs Captain Zach Thomas to pick him as a wild card. Uh, excuse me, Captain Zach Johnson. Johnson makes his final six picks next week. All right, Boyle, thanks so much. Again, a break, and we come back. NFL conversation. Jared Dubin, CBS Welcome back to the DA show here on this Monday morning on CBS Sports Radio. Andrew Bogish in for DA. As promised, we're talking NFL football off a second batch of preseason games with one more still left tonight. Welcoming back to the show now, Jared Dubin, who covers the league for CBSSports.com. Jared, it's Andrew again. How are you, man? I'm doing fine. How are you? Good. Thanks, as always, for for making time for us. We appreciate it. Um, We've already touched on this a little bit this morning, but... um, I was confused why we played a preseason game last night in a hurricane and then an earthquake. Uh, were you expecting during the day yesterday to have that game called off at all? Um, not really, because the day before, they people were saying that it was going to be played, which I didn't totally understand either. Um, I don't understand the need for most preseason games, to be yeah. honest. It just seems like a chance for guys to get injured. But I suppose it is also a chance for guys to make the team, so that's good for them. But the, the downside does seem to outweigh the upside in a lot of cases. Yeah, and you I know, had, especially when the weather is like that. Right, and I guess piggybacking off of that in terms of playing in the preseason, when you see the headline that Aaron Rodgers should play for the Jets on Saturday against the Giants, uh, I can't imagine you agree with that Robert Sala decision. Yeah, I mean, I tend to lean on the side of, like, let's just get through the preseason with nobody injured is the main goal. Um, if they really feel the need to get, you know, a series or two out there just to get a little bit of rhythm, I somewhat understand. But then you look at some other teams, you know, like Patrick Mahomes threw, what was it, like 15 passes? Yeah. The other night. So, you know, Andy Reid probably knows a lot more than I do too. So, you know, there, there are obviously different arguments on each side. I just, for me, I would just want to get through with nobody injured. And the safest way to do that is to have your guys not play. Jared, I, I don't know if he's going to give us a full answer when he speaks to the media either today or tomorrow. Bill Belichick I'm talking about here. But 
Why do you think they were so quick to cancel their joint practices this week off the Isaiah Bolden injury? Were they afraid of a worst-case scenario for him, or do they just think better safe than sorry, we don't need any extra contact, let's just go home and be by ourselves this week? Yeah, I mean, I think those are both pretty reasonable explanations. I'm not exactly sure which of them it is. Maybe it was even something else, like, they did still have to play the game against each other, though, even after the joint practices. It's not like the teams weren't uh, weren't going to be seeing each other or hitting each other again. But, you know, when something like that happens, it, it, it shakes people up, and I guess it, it, it could lead to a decision like that. We also last night had the Texans and the Saints canceling their two joint workouts this week. They'll just play their preseason game. Uh, it seems like kind of quickly teams are backing away from the need at least for two, if not, you know, maybe just one joint practice. There seems to be a little bit of a change all of a sudden this summer about how necessary all those are. Yeah, I mean, you'll find some coaches that think they're really necessary to get, like, the level of competition up or the level of physicality up. And then there are others where, you know, there's the potential for fights or injuries or what have you. Like, a player on another team might not hold up as much when, you know, hitting a guy as a player on your team might but, you know, then we see other training camps where teams are fighting each other, you know, like against their own team. Like we saw that in Dallas uh, last week. And, you know, training camp fights and training camp big hits and injuries, and they're going to happen no matter what. The, the potential maybe is a little bit higher when it's two teams going against each other. I'd actually be interested to see if somebody looks at that and see if the, the, you know, the rate of injury or the rate of fights or whatever is higher in joint practices than regular practices. But, you know, I can, again, I can see sort of the argument on both sides. And speaking of injuries, games or otherwise, but I, I guess particularly in games here, is it me or have we had a strange amount of players suffering head and neck injuries and being carted off the field through these first two weekends of full preseason action? Yeah, I mean, it does seem that way. It also may be that they're being more cautious about carting guys off now after DeMar Hamlin. It may have been you know, a situation where you know maybe they wouldn't have been carted off in the past, but now they're taking a little bit more caution, but, you know, it, it certainly seems that way to me so far. As far as the actual games went this weekend, um, I wanted to ask you about Brock Purdy showing up and looking good in a very short stint in his return for the Niners. Um, I, I, I remember how good the Eagles were last year, but to me, the Niners are the best team in the NFC. What, what's your take on them as a whole and what Purdy can be over a full season as their starting quarterback? Yeah, I mean, the Niners are, are still really, really good. The, the one concern there to me is their offensive line. Even from last year, they lost a couple of starters on the, the right side of that line. That There's not much depth along the front either. Obviously, Trent Williams still being there helps quite a bit. But, you know, you got, you got five spots along that line. And if you, that could be a little bit of a concern. But if there's really anybody that I trust to scheme his way around, you know, any particular issue on the offensive line, it might be Kyle Shanahan. And with the skill position players they have, the floor is just so high for their offense. And, you know, I don't expect Rock Purdy to play as well as he did last year. That was pretty ridiculous and pretty unsustainable, if you ask me. But that style of, like, point guard quarterback play is something that Shanahan has gotten a lot of success with over the years. And even if he's not quite as good as he was last year, that offense should still be really good. And then even with Steve Wilkes replacing D'Amico Ryan as a defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes has had plenty of good defenses in the past. He knows what he's doing. The talent on that side of the ball is pretty awesome. It's 
they should be one of the you know two or three best teams in the conference again. Jared Dubin of CBSSports.com is with us here on the DA Show on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, the first-string Steeler offense looked good against the Bills this weekend. What's your expectation for Kenny Pickett and company this year? I'm sort of of two minds of Kenny Pickett where, you know, I think the talent is there, but I'm not quite as high on what he did over the second half of last season as maybe some other people are. Like, it still wasn't particularly, you know, efficient or explosive or, you know, all that many touchdown passes. And the biggest leap a quarterback takes tends to be between year one and year two. So if he does take that big significant step forward, then I think there's plenty there. For, for them to be a pretty good offense. I'm just not sure that he has, like, the firepower to compete with, you know, the best offenses in the league just yet. But if they can be, you know, an above-average offense instead of what they were for most of last year, that's a really good team because that defense should be really good again. Anything else that stood out to you from this weekend that you think is a real thing that pertains to the regular season that's just not a, a preseason occurrence? Um, I tend to be one of those people that, does, that doesn't put all that much Nothing. Okay. in what happened during the preseason. <laughs> but, you know, I think some of these rookie quarterbacks that were drafted a little bit later have looked pretty good. Like Aiden O'Connell looks pretty good for the Raiders, and uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson got in there for, yeah. uh, for the Browns. He's had a couple of good preseason games now. And, you know, mid to late round quarterbacks, you're going to whiff, you know, like 90-plus percent of the time. But if you find someone that can even be a capable backup, that's pretty good. And if you look, you know, decent to playable or better in multiple preseason contests working behind, you know, not the best offensive lines, maybe that's a pretty decent sign that you can stick around for a while. And, um, you know, that's the kind of thing I think you tend to look for from, from, from day two and day three picks. It's like, is there something there – that makes you see why this team decided to take a chance on them. Jared, as always, thanks for the chat. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me. Have a good day. You too. That's Jared Dubin. Read him at cbsports.com. You can follow him on Twitter. Uh, it's It just disappeared. His, uh, it's at jadubin5. Uh, Yaya Dubin is his name. That almost sounds like he should be a listener to the show. Yaya Dubin, after Squishy Liquid and Incognito Man. He would be tweeting in on a target demo Friday. Uh, but we thank <laughs> Yaya for checking in with us uh, on this Monday morning. There is, uh, he mentioned the back, the late round drafted quarterbacks from this year. Before we're done this morning, we'll talk about the two guys who went first off the board from that position CJ Stroud and Bryce Young, Texans and Panthers, respectively. Although we had that, I don't know, that one segment of confusion one morning while Sean was still here about which one of those guys played where. And now it has created this just little crinkle in my brain that I am now messing it up. I had it fine before then, but then DA and Sean flipped them in a conversation. And now that's thrown me off as to where Stroud is and where Bryce Young is. But as far as I know, Bryce Young is the Panthers quarterback. CJ Stroud's in Houston. Uh, and Bryce is not getting any favors from his team. He has played twice behind a bad offensive line and has had no chance to show anything off here as we move towards week one. Hour number four, it's got that. It's also got Bob Kessling, the longtime voice of the Tennessee Vols, as Sounds of Saturday continues. It's a busy week on that front because, again, we've got some games very, very soon. 
Bob Kessling today, Steve Jones of Penn State, and Jerry Allen of Oregon tomorrow. Jeff Colhane of FSU is on the show Wednesday morning. And Pete Arbogast of USC will join us this week as well. Boyle's in charge of this whole operation. Is that the end of the list, Boyle? There's still guys for next week as well. No, there's guys for next week. Next week is the coup d'etat. Okay. Did I use that word correctly? I believe so. Yeah, of the sounds of Saturday. So I know for sure it is finishing with Scott Howard, voice of the two-time defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs on Friday, September 1st. We will also have Ohio State's voice, and uh, forgive me, the name is escaping me. I believe it is Keels. Yeah, and he's he did Ryan he, Keels, he, Jeff Keels, Jim Keels, John Keels. Oh, uh, that's a bad job by me. Hold on, I have it here. I choose not to remember him. It's Jim Keels, I think, because he did me dirty. Who did you dirty during this segment? A couple when we were home still. He came on. And I took that time to go brush my teeth because we were working from home and it was the morning. And for whatever reason, the interview was like six minutes long. And I was planning on having 10 minutes. So I was taking my time, talking to my kids, again, brushing my teeth. It's Paul Keels. Paul Keels. Paul Keels done. DA throws to update without looking at his screen. I'm not there. So there's silence. And then I got yelled at for leaving my post. Yeah, so we got Paul Keels confirmed for next week, Ohio State. Doug Karsh of Michigan and Scott Howard of Georgia. And up next, it's Bob Kessling of Tennessee. Sounds a Saturday on a Monday on CBS Sports Radio. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.